Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 223. One of the most popular cruise ports to take a Royal Caribbean cruise from is Port Everglades in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Port Everglades is home to some of Royal Caribbean's most prolific cruise ships, and this week, we are discussing getting to your Port Everglades cruise. We'll discuss how to get to the terminal, parking, and everything you should know if you're cruising from Fort Lauderdale. Here we go. Royal Caribbean operates 24 ships these days, and some of its premier ships sail out of a place called Port Everglades, Florida, located in Fort Lauderdale. And this week, we want to talk about going on a cruise out of Fort Lauderdale, what to expect, how to get there, and some of the nuances, if you will, about Port Everglades. And Port Everglades, as I mentioned, is in Fort Lauderdale. It is literally across the street from the Fort Lauderdale International Airport, so it's very convenient for a lot of folks. It is located in South Florida. And when we talk about taking cruises out of Fort Lauderdale, oftentimes you're talking about some of Royal Caribbean's biggest ships. When Royal Caribbean first debuted, it's Oasis-class ships. That's where they sailed out of Oasis of the season, Allure of the season. Now, since then, Oasis has moved up to Port Canaveral, and Allure still remains in Fort Lauderdale for the time being, as well as Harmony of the Seas. Although next year in 2018, Allure will move down to the new terminal Royal Caribbean is building in Miami, along with the soon-to-be-arriving Symphony of the Seas. But the regardless of which ships happen to be sailing out of Port Everglades or not, the, this information, I think, will be fairly evergreen in that regard because there's a, it's a very popular cruise port. It's among the busiest in the world. In fact, Port Canaveral and Port Everglades and Port of Miami go back and forth quite often in terms of which is the largest port or which does the most traffic. But regardless, it's a pretty popular cruise port to get to. Now, as I mentioned, getting to the cruise port, if you're flying into Port Everglades, there's a lot of different choices. The most obvious choices are there are two. Fort Lauderdale Airport and the Miami International Airport. Fort Lauderdale is by far the most convenient, as I mentioned earlier. It is literally across the street, very easy to get to, very convenient. I mean, honestly, to get from a, from door to door, from taxi ride, whether it's Port Everglades to the airport or airport to the Port Everglades, it's maybe five minutes, very, very close. I mean, you can't walk there. Well, it's a really common question because can I walk there because it's so close, Matt? Unfortunately not. It's not set up in for pedestrian kind of traffic like that. It's, you know, their airport. So obviously there's a huge amount of land in between. There are fences. The roads don't quite go that way. So you still need to take a taxi, but it's, you know, just a couple dollars and you can be on your way. Now, when you are flying into Fort Lauderdale, and this is true for, I would say, any cruise you're taking out of Florida, consider other airports as well. Miami is the other obvious choice because they're pretty close to each other, both Miami International and Fort Lauderdale. Depending on which airlines are convenient for you, you may find one has a hub in one or the other. It's pretty easy to get from one or the other, especially on weekends when there's not a whole lot of traffic. But even so, you know, a lot of people in Miami might find that they're taking a cruise out of Port Everglades or they're taking a cruise out of Port Miami and finding that actually it's cheaper to fly into the other airport. Likewise, you can also find some really good deals if you fly to other airports in Florida. I'm talking about Fort Myers, Orlando, Tampa, even Daytona Beach. And for a lot of times, you say, why would I fly all the way to Tampa as an example? Yeah, it's, it's a fair amount of drive to you know, Tampa to Fort Lauderdale is in the ballpark of three and a half, four hours. But in many cases, it can save you a lot of money. And for a lot of people who fly into their cruise port or cruise before uh, their their the day before, at least, their ship leaves, that gives you plenty of time to get around, and you can also find some cheaper hotels around you know those areas, especially in central Florida, and then drive on down. So what I'm trying to say is that even though it may not seem obvious, consider other airports in the state of Florida. They're very easily drivable, certainly with rental cars. You can find really good deals in Florida for rental car prices. So you know, keep that as an option. Don't assume you have to fly into Fort Lauderdale if you're flying out of 
Port Everglades. There's a lot of great choices. Orlando's a great one, as I mentioned. I do that. I mean, I live in Orlando. I drive to Port Everglades for my cruises, and it's, you know, in the ballpark about three hours, but it's a very manageable drive, very easy drive, all highway. And it, if it, like, if you can save hundreds of dollars on your airfare by flying into one of these other airports, hey, why not? Take advantage of it, right? So, there you go. That's kind of getting to your port. As I mentioned, if you're driving, there's two basic ways to get to the port. One is from I-95, and the other one is from the Florida Turnpike. In either case, you're probably going to hit a, a road called I-595, which is one of these little uh, smaller highways that leads you right in there. In fact, when you get to either whichever one you're taking into, no matter north or south, you're going to hit 595. You're going to go right past the airport, and then you're literally going to run into Port Everglades. And once you arrive at Port Everglades, it's pretty straightforward. Royal Caribbean operates out of two basic terminals in Port Everglades, Terminal 18 and Terminal 25. Terminal 18 is where the Oasis-class ships go out, and this is the primary terminal these days for Royal Caribbean. It was actually built for Royal Caribbean. Royal Caribbean built it when they were designing Oasis of the Sea, similar to what they're doing with Symphony of the Seas down in Miami. But this is custom-made for it. It was meant to handle the kind of capacity that an Oasis-class ship can bring to you. What I love about this terminal, Terminal 18, is not only is it brand new, but it's very easy to get in and out of. When the One of the things I love about it is the parking lot is – it's not even across the street. It's across the terminal. When you exit the terminal, it is just a hop and a skip over there. Very easy to get to. Very convenient. I love it. Yes, it does cost more money probably than some off-site parking places, but I just love the convenience of parking on-site. I'm generally of that opinion when it comes to most places. It's kind of funny because I'm kind of a cheapo with other things, but not when it comes to parking on-site. I'm willing to pay – Maybe another fifty to hundred dollars for my during the week that I'm there. In but I just like the convenience factor of it. To me, it makes it just makes it a whole lot easier, especially not only just for dropping up but when you're coming back from the from the ship and your cruise is over and you're crying <laughs> and you're remembering all the good times. What's nice about it is we have our porter who will bring the luggage out there and they'll go right out to the car, literally up to the car and help us load the car up, which I love. So uh, it's very simple to do. If you happen to be going out of Terminal 25, Terminal 25 is usually used by slightly smaller Royal Caribbean ships like Independence of the Seas, Freedom of the Seas, basically non-Oasis-class ships that go there. And that terminal, on the, the when I've gone there before, I had to park in a parking lot that was a parking garage that was a little bit away, not walkable or something not easily walkable, but the terminal operated a continuously running bus that would bring us back and forth. But my strategy for all cruise terminals, I often recommend, whether you're renting a car, drop, no parking your own car, doesn't matter, is drop everybody off and their luggage at the terminal and then go park the car by yourself. That way it's just a whole lot easier and a lot more convenient. And I didn't have any trouble at Terminal 25. Just wanted to point out that it's not quite as convenient as 18, but you know, I'm it, relatively speaking anyway. That I should mention also that Terminal 25 is slated for a major upgrade. In fact, a $100 million complete makeover of Terminal 25. This is part of Royal Caribbean's agreement with the uh, with Port Everglades. It's largely tied to the arrival of sister ship Celebrity Edge, which arrives in December 2018. So what I'm trying to say is the information I just gave you about Terminal 25 may be changing a little bit with the new rehab that they're going to be doing with this makeover that's going to be happening with uh, with there. And that's going to be... Um, uh, a little bit in, you know, depending on when you listen to this podcast, this may or may not be news or old news, but uh, just keep that in mind that it is experience. But, you know, the good news is getting in and out of terminal, in any of these terminals, Terminal 18, Terminal 25, Port Everglades is really simple to do. Once you arrive, no matter, there's a couple different ways you can arrive. It really doesn't matter because no matter which way you arrive from, there's a lot of, it's well marked. There are signs that will tell you exactly where your ships are going to be, although quite honestly, it's very easy to go, oh, look over there. There it is. There's a huge ship over there. That's that's Harmony. That's Allure. That's you know, whatever, it's very easy to, to spot them, but the signs will tell you exactly where to go. 
and and how to get in there. Also, one more mention, of course, if you're flying into an airport like Fort Lauderdale, Royal Caribbean does offer transfer service, and transfers are Royal Caribbean's own bus service. They call them the transfers to bring you to the port from the Fort Lauderdale Airport as well as Miami International Airport. Now, if you want to buy one, you can book it through either directly through Royal Caribbean or through your travel agent, and they offer the transfers in one-way increments, so you can obviously buy both ways and transport you back and forth. And uh, to purchase a Royal Caribbean guest transfer, again, you should talk to your travel agent or call Royal Caribbean directly and get that taken care of. That is an option for you. But again, for a lot of folks that go, I think, to either Fort Lauderdale Airport or to Miami, it's very convenient to take a taxi. It's very convenient to take an Uber or Lyft. In fact, it might even be a little bit cheaper. But it depends on how many in your party and how much time you have and a couple other considerations as well. Now, Fort Lauderdale is a large area. It's a major city. There's a lot to do in Fort Lauderdale. If you're looking for things to do before your cruise, Los Olas Boulevard, O-L-A-S, Los Olas Boulevard, is a really popular area. It's kind of like the 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 large dining, shopping, and to-do district in Fort Lauderdale, very easy to get to from certainly the airport or probably whatever hotel you're happy to be staying at near your port. And that's a really popular option. Of course, you've got the South Florida beaches. You have Miami, which has a huge amount of cultural experiences to do as well. There are sporting events. There are concerts. I, the good news is you're not like, you're not in the middle of nowhere. There is, there is plenty to do. Unlike other ports like Port Canaveral and uh, maybe even Cape Liberty in New Jersey, where right around the port, there's not a whole lot. You know, you're kind of just it's a port and that's about it. The good news is you've got some other options there besides, of course, just doing a beach day. I mean, the South Florida beaches, especially in the warmer months of the year, are quite lovely. And you also have the Florida Everglades, which is a really popular option for a lot of folks. This is a large natural habitat where you can see a number of indigenous species, namely alligator. That's the really big one. We can go you know, airboat rides. There's a lot to do there. It is uh, a, a, a national landmark here in the United States. And I think a lot of people end up going to see the the Everglades. Royal Caribbean offers a number of excursions to there either before or after your cruise, as well as offering uh, uh, some other excursions into local areas, into Fort Lauderdale, into Miami. So there are some really some nice things to do if you have a later departure or you're maybe stretching out your trip a little bit, which is even a nicer way to kind of take advantage of all the time that you may have in this area. If you're looking for some other things to do in the greater Fort Lauderdale area, maybe beyond just the usual beach stuff, you've actually got something that's really cool. It's the Murakame Museum and Japanese Gardens. It is a handful of museums in America devoted exclusively to Japanese culture, and it's really quite beautiful, in fact. You should check that out. If you're looking for more shopping, there's two great shopping areas. There's the Sawgrass Mills Mall, which is a huge outdoor outlet. Mall, about 20 minutes west of the port. And there's also the Galleria Mall, which is Broward County's largest upscale shopping center. It's about 10 minutes north of the port, just minutes from the beach as well. Some really great things there. If you're into golf, man, I mean, South Florida is perfect for you. You can definitely have lots of golfing areas around you. And lastly, if you're into uh, gambling, in fact, there's the Gulfstream Park Racing and Casino. So maybe get a little bit of action in, save some, make some money for your cruise or try to recoup some of the money from the cruise, however it may go. But the good news is there's quite a bit, actually, to do in in the greater Fort Lauderdale area. And that's what's so nice about cruising out of this area because there's just there's you're, you're not going to be bored unless you choose to be bored from over there. Lots of great choices, lots of great dining as well. And it's it's a great jumping off point for family vacations. And for cruising, it's among my favorite because it's just so convenient to get to. And there's a lot to do there. And, of course, taking your cruise out of Fort Lauderdale, you know, when you're out of Port Everglades, it's a beautiful sail away. Once your ship leaves, you have a beautiful channel that you sail in out of. And, of course, it gives you perfect views of not only Fort Lauderdale, but also Miami. Because a lot of times, Royal Caribbean ships, in fact, almost all the time, they'll hook a right when they get out of the channel. And you'll go right past South Florida. So be sure once you're on board the ship, don't just, you know, once you sail away is immediately over. Like, well, that's it. Back on the ship until we get to wherever we're going. 
you know, about an hour or so later, you should have a pretty good view of Miami as well on the starboard side of the ship. That's the right side of the ship. And you can see a lot of great things out there. So bottom line is it's a great place to go out of. Fort Lauderdale is very convenient. And if you're going on a cruise from Port Everglades, be sure to enjoy the many things that are in and around the area because don't just don't just fly in the day. I always recommend anyway, you know, as a good general rule of thumb. Give yourself at least a day before your cruise just to avoid travel delays. But, hey, if nothing else, you get a chance to experience some of the wonderful things in the greater Fort Lauderdale area. All right, it's time to answer your listener questions. And, of course, this is the part of the episode where I get to read emails that have been sent to me about any aspect of Royal Caribbean cruising and read them right here on the air. If you want to have your email sent in, please, please, please feel free to send it in. Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Last week's episode, I had some questions that I wanted some some input on. We're going to start off with one from Seabreeze Bear, who runs ShootingTheSeabreeze.com, which is a blog about practically living aboard Royal Caribbean for a year. Wow, that's a great idea. love that idea. Anyway, here's the question. Um, right, so I've done four back-to-back cruises. So far, the procedure for three of the four have been receive letters stating what the procedure will be and an invitation to a meeting about the procedures. So far, all have been in the Star Lounge on both Serenade of the Seas and Explorer of the Seas. Upon arrival in the final port, first cruise, all back-to-back cruise guests assemble again in the Star Lounge and are issued new sea passes. You then, quote, leave the ship <clears throat> with the old sea passes, but you actually just stay on board. At around 10.30 a.m., give or take, you are reboarding the ship, leaving the Star Lounge. Back-to-back guests have had a priority access to our rooms and can slip through the fire doors to back to the rooms that we've had. We're encouraged not to go back and forth as it may annoy other guests as to, quote, why do they get to back to their rooms? I've not yet required to print set sail or complete check-in for the consecutive cruise. Luggage tags are also not required. If you are changing a room, you pack your bags and leave them in the stateroom. They'll be moved for you. Anything hanging in the closet will also move for you. Mind you, my experience here is only on two ships. I'll be doing back-to-back on the Harmony next year, so we'll see what that procedure is. The only difference is in procedure for me has been sailing into Sydney, where we physically had to leave the ship. Everything else was the same. Hope this helps. Seabreeze Bear, thank you so much for this. This is wonderful, and I really do appreciate the uh, feedback there on back-to-backs because, of course, I haven't done one myself, but I've read many great comments there, and that was a perfect example of what to expect. We also have an email from Susan Widdowson, who uh, also wanted to chime in on this question. We've done back-to-back cruises three different times. Twice we had the same cabin. Once we changed cabins. Either way, just let your cabin attendant know what's going on. You can get off and do an excursion if you want. Your CPAS card is just for one week, and you get a new one for the second week. Same cabin was much easier to take your CPAS card and and something to do while waiting. We always tell the attendants to do our cabin last. In terms of changing cabins, it's a little bit trickier. Let your cabin attendant know you'll be changing cabins. You'll have to repack things in the drawers and bathroom and empty the safe. Hanging garments can be left on the hangers. They'll move everything for you. We took our CPAS cards and valuables with us to the designated waiting area. Check with guest services the first week so that they have it documented that you'll be on the consecutive cruisers list. On the independence of the seas, the reservations weren't linked. Probably our travel agent's fault, so we never received the letter about the meeting for consecutive cruisers, and we had to wait for our CPAS cards before returning to the ship. We'd like to get right back on the ship after getting cleared through customs. Just show your passport slash ID and walk right back on and do a little exploring. On the Liberty of the Seas, we got to walk past the presidential suite. On the Oasis, we got looked. We took a look at some of the loft suites. And on Independence, we were busy looking for friends who were joining us the second week, so we didn't explore. Be aware that they will be chain- cleaning all over the ship, so you just have to stay out of the way. Some pools or hot tubs may be closed for cleaning, too. When we had a portside cabin, we enjoyed sitting on our balcony watching activity up from the pier. Fascinating how they restock the ship. Awesome. Susan, thank you so much for the email. This is wonderful. Really do appreciate that. 
And one more feedback from our good friend Ron Hiller writes, Finally listen to this week's podcast, and no, you don't need your second set sail pass if you were a consecutive cruiser. However, I generally print my second one anyway, just in case, because I'm that guy. And you know what, Ron? I would do the same thing. I Even though everyone says you don't need one, I would still do it because I'm just so, I'm that paranoid guy. I just can't bring myself not to do it, so I'm totally with you on that one. We have our next email from Carly, who's just back from Explorer this season. Carly writes, as you know, I went on Explorer this season. I did say I was sending you feedback. The ship is big, a lot bigger than the last cruise we took back in 2015. We had an amazing time on Explorer this season. Such a lovely ship. I went to Giovanni Sable, Johnny Rackets three times, Zumi, and Chop Skrill. Spent other times at the Windjamer and Cafe Promenade for lunch and dinner. The food at the Windjamer was nice. The hot chocolate at Cafe Promenade was so yummy. The guys knew what my knew my friends, my friends' parents, and I what I wanted. The staff were really lovely and always friendly. Our room attendant was lovely as well. The shows I had seen were good. Did some activities on board. My favorite would have to be Johnny Rockets. The food was nice, but filling. Favorite port would be Honolulu, such a lovely place. We did miss one port due to a medical emergency. Sea days were good. Would I go on another Royal Caribbean ship? Yes, I would. Uh Awesome. Carly, thank you so much for the email. That's wonderful. We have our next email. It is from Christy McClarty. Hey, Matt, love your podcast on what to wear for a cruise as it makes me think of my favorite pre-cruise activity, shopping for the cruise. I just had a few additional thoughts for you. Mediterranean cruises can be hot, but if you go on excursions that visit churches, there are often dress codes that include having your shoulders and knees covered. If we ever go back, I will specifically find thin pants and shirts for these days. We love the onboard laundry service. Even though there's an extra cost to it, you may make up for that with airline luggage fees. It should also be noted that this service is free for Star Class Suites. Also, we always pack travel-sized downy wrinkle release spray to help with the garments that are wrinkly but don't necessarily need to be ironed. And uh, Christy also writes, I'm also I'm always shocked at how many outfits we go through with our two-year-old on a cruise. I also tend to overpack dressy clothes for her. A good rule of thumb is two outfits per day plus two to three dressy outfits for a week-long cruise. She winds up in Adventure Ocean more often than not at dinner anyway. My last tip is not to pack clothing that is tight on you at the beginning of the cruise because it's bound to get tighter on the cruise. Thank you for another great episode. Christy, these are wonderful recommendations. I love your first one, by the way, about visiting the church. And you know what? For a lot of places you go, whether it's in Europe, in the Caribbean, in America, some some churches you may visit, which are beautiful historical landmarks, may have those kind of rules and regulations. That's a really good point. You know, you're, you're in cruise mode. It's summer. It's hot. All right, pack shorts and and t-shirts and tank tops, right? Because that's what you're going to need. But if you want to visit these places beyond just going looking around the outside, yeah, that's something that's really important to know. And, I, and you're right; they're a little more conservative there in in Europe than they are down here. And I love the other tips about laundry. Uh, I, I agree about the laundry service. It's not cheap, but you know, it's, it's dry cleaning. But hey, if it can save you an extra bag or two because you can reuse a, an outfit or a suit or something like that, totally worth it. So. Good advice, as always, Christy. Thank you so much for the email. We have our next email. It's from Anthony, who writes, I'm sailing out at the end of January out of Harmony that he's leaving Fort Lauderdale. Itinerary is or was St. Martin, Puerto Rico, and Labadee. You think Royal Caribbean will alter our planned destination? So, obviously, Anthony sent this email in uh, right around all those hurricanes, whether it was Irma and Maria going through. And the good news, Anthony, you may have already known this on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, but if you haven't uh, checked that out, uh, Royal Caribbean has announced that by uh, mid-December, they're going to be returning to all those ports. St. Martin, Puerto Rico, and Labadee was never skipped at all. So, uh, that's really good news. You'll have no trouble going there. Obviously, keep in mind that some things may not be open, but that's what's important to kind of do some research before your port anyway. Uh, I would My recommendation, if you're going to one of these ports, this is information that's probably only relevant if you're listening in the next couple of months. If you're listening to this episode in 2019, that's wonderful. Thank you for listening to the old podcast episodes, but probably a lot of this information is out of date now. But when you're going to, in general, ports like St. Martin, San Juan, St. Thomas, ports that were heavily impacted by hurricanes Irma and Maria, what you want to do is wait till closer to your sailing to really get a good idea of what is operational and what's not operational. 
and don't worry about it too soon. So in that example, uh, Anthony was going on a cruise in January, and we're recording this episode in early November. My recommendation, honestly, I know I know it's kind of weird because I'm a type A person. I'm always like, you know, research, research, research. But wait a solid month. You know, wait until right around Christmas time. I don't know when your cruise is in January, but I would wait till right around then to start really getting an idea of, okay, what's op- what's operational, what's not operational, you know, what, what can we do? Because a lot can change even from week to week, and I would hate for you to look it up now and say, oh, okay, well, you know, as an example, in St. Thomas, maybe the Paradise Tram Tour isn't operational, but maybe by mid-December it will be, and, you know, you've already written off mentally, so why would you check back, right? So give yourself some time. Don't worry necessarily about it right now, but, you know, that that's basically how I would approach it if I was going out of sailing there. Next, we have an email from Melissa Lee who writes, Thanks for the great advice. You mentioned asking for donations for your cruise as a registry, and I found a website, royalcaribbeanhoneymoon.com. You put in all your information and put on there everything from dinner at support, obviously, around a drink, short excursions, spa treatments, etc. What is great is all this stuff goes on onboard credit. The downside is you can't book in advance, so as soon as we get on the ship, we'll have to reserve everything. Oh, and we are definitely doing the cabana in La Badie. Awesome, Melissa. And you know what? It is a great idea. That is one of the trade-offs of having the the registry versus not because you're you're right that no one's actually booking you like a cabana or a dining excursion or dining excursion dining reservation or a short excursion the the reality is it's just everyone just gives you the value towards it and whether you spend it on the drink package or on that cabana that's up to you but you know that that's good because it gives you a little flexibility but on the downside you're right you can't spend that money until you actually go on the cruise which is kind of like well i want to be able to pre-book some of those things so i i think it's really a combination melissa of leveraging that because let's face it, you're probably not going to get all the money that you're looking for towards all the experiences. And book what you can. And let me tell you something, Melissa. In terms of onboard credit, but on many Royal Caribbean ships, I, I don't know about you, but I have never, ever, ever had any problems spending my onboard credit. It is amazing how fast it goes. Trust me, it'll be the least of your troubles. Never, No one should ever say, oh no, I'm going on this cruise. I don't know if I can spend all this onboard credit. It's very easy. <laughs> Next email is from Stuart from Norwich, United Kingdom. Greetings from the not-so-sunny UK. Firstly, I just want to say I love the podcast and regularly listen to it in my car on my hour-long commute into work. So thanks. Keep up the excellent work. Last year, I was brand new to cruising and finally decided to get my feet wet with a 10-night Southern Caribbean cruise out of New Jersey on Anthem of the Seas. I'm so glad I'm so glad my partner Luke and I picked Royal Caribbean and Anthem of the Seas as we had a fantastic time and have now very much caught the cruising bug. The point I wanted to raise through this was in agreement with your advice on a previous podcast regarding itineraries. While we love the overall experience, there are some things that we would have changed. Number one, we sailed in late November, and when we left New York, it was around 11 degrees centigrade. Of course, as we sailed further south, the temperature gradually increased. This was fine as we were getting used to the ship, etc. When we got back to New York City, the temperature had just dropped to just 2 degrees. This is quite a shock and not something I would really want to repeat. Number two, we had too many sea days and port days grouped together. We were frankly exhausted after so many ports uh, one after another, and to be honest, a little bored on the sail back to New Jersey. It was soon way too cold to be out on the deck, and the indoor spaces just the solarium became much too crowded. So really what I'm saying is you're 100% correct in recommending the right balance. We have booked Oasis of the Seas for a seven-night Western Caribbean itinerary at a Port Canaveral and hope this will be a better mix of port and sea days along with the warmer climate of Florida will be a better fit for us. We're also super excited to be going on an Oasis-class ship this time around. Thank you once again for all the hard work on the podcast. Stuart, excellent email. Thank you for emailing it. And you know what? I think it's a really good point. One of the interesting nuances of sailing out of northern ports, specifically Bayonne, New Jersey, and I would even say, I would even put Baltimore into this, is when you're sailing 
significantly that far from Florida and you're going south to the Caribbean, you're going to get a lot of that, what, what Stuart was describing. You're going to get a lot of sea days in the beginning. You're going to get all your port days bunched up and then a bunch of sea days on the way back. That may or may not be a problem for some people. I know that I've experienced that kind of a thing when I prefer a little more, I, and in a perfect world, I'd prefer you know alternating, right? Sea day, port day, sea day, port day, sea day, port day. It gives you an opportunity to relax and you know not feel like so jammed up because I, when yeah, I've done itineraries where it's just port day, port day, port day, port day, and the problem is you just... it. It's it's a lot, you know. It's a lot of walking. It's a lot of experience. Sometimes you just need a break in between. And obviously, having a lot of sea days in it all at once can have the opposite effect, where you kind of get get kind of restless a little bit. Now, going now, of course, your your solution to this problem. And I'm using solution in air quotes there, Stuart, is to go on a cruise out of Florida, which is perfect because going on a waste of the seas, you're going to have a nice blend. I think in in relation to what you were talking about with the uh, the bunching up, you're not going to have that at all. Now, cruising out of New York. You know, in the wintertime, yeah, that can be an issue. I've taken actually two different cruises, on both on Quantum of the Seas and Anthem of the Seas, out of that area in the winter. And you're right. The first day, it's cold. You're staying inside. But by day two, it warms up. And, you know, it, it, I wouldn't – I never considered it the end of the world. I don't think it was a bad idea. But it's not ideal in the sense of, you know, you want to – you want you're on a cruise ship. You want to go sit by the pool, right? And it's kind of difficult when it's not that – warm outside. The good news, at least on quantum class ships like Anthem of the Seas, is you have the solarium and the indoor pools. You have two different indoor pools that will be warm enough for you to go swim in no matter what the temperature is outside. You do lose out on the main pool deck and, of course, the floor rider is out, not in commission, and in general, being outside may not be that enjoyable, but even in the middle of winter cruising out of New York, by the time you get to day two, especially in the afternoon and evening, unless there's a major cold front that's gone through the south, you're usually starting to warm up to the point where you can at least you know, walk outside or be somewhat comfortable. And certainly by your third day, you know, you're you're in your shorts weather and you're enjoying yourself. So, I mean, look, as somebody who really, really, really does not like flying, if I still lived up north, I would still strongly consider those quantum class sailings just for that, for the convenience factor of it. But you are right that it should be worth noting. If you're cruising out of New York, I would say from, oh, October through, it really depends. I would say almost April or May. You can find some cooler temperatures, especially in those in the first and last days of the cruise as you're leaving and coming back into the area. But I wouldn't let it stop you. It's a wonderful ship. It's a great itineraries that are out there. So it really depends on what you're looking to do. But just you know, something to keep in mind. And Stuart brings up some really good points. So Stuart, I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback about what you like about Oasis of the Seas and how your sailing went on that ship. Next, we have an email from Hunter who writes... Welcome home from Harmony of the Seas. We'll be sailing on her later this fall and can't wait for the experience. We're in a star class suite and just received the unexpectedly unique Genie questionnaire about a week ago. The questions are definitely original and coming up with appropriate answers certainly made us stop and think. This note isn't necessarily for inclusion of your podcast, but I wanted to thank you for avoiding politics in your podcasts and posts. In a day when sports are politicized, it's nice to have some outlet, any outlet, where people can come together about worrying without worrying about who someone else voted for. I even noticed on a recent podcast when a guest was going on and I'm out of certain aisles wouldn't be uh, around with all this global warming. You didn't engage with them and change the topic. There's That's only one example, but I think that the silent majority appreciates the other efforts that will keep Royal Korean blog neutral, so thank you. And Hunter, thank you for the email, and I'm pretty, I read that I obviously included that part in the podcast regardless, because I do believe that there's a place for discussion about all topics, just when we're, we're on this podcast, we're on this blog, we're just talking about Royal Caribbean. That's all we really care about, right? I don't think anyone's coming to me and said, Matt, what do you think about you know the global political structure? Well, I'm glad you asked me. No, no one cares. I don't even care. I want to focus on the most important thing in the world, which is taking a Royal Caribbean cruise. That's what's so fun about cruising, right? Because you have an opportunity to get on board, and and I often joke, you know, you can forget all your troubles, forget all your cares, and just like that old 
a Petula Clark song. You don't go downtown. You just go on the ship, and it's a total different state of mind, and that's what I love about it. I forget about all my daily stuff. I don't remember. I don't think about work. I don't think about what's going on in the news. I love, in fact... Uh, not knowing what's going on in a in in, in a in, you know on a very high level, right? In a euphoric sense, it's kind of nice getting a break from the day to day. Whether it's news, whether it's weather, whether it's the uh, you know the, the political climate, anything going on. Work. I'm more about work than I am about anything else. But you know, just getting a break from that, man. I love that mental escape, and that's something I can only find on cruise ships. When I go on land, it's not the same thing. I just I don't know what it is about it. But going on the cruise ship really does that. So yeah, I'm definitely trying to. Make sure that this podcast stays on track. Unless we're talking about things like pizza or baseball. And occasionally I do get off track on that. But cruising is definitely the nature of the beast. And I appreciate you listening in there. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Next we have an email from Gabriel who writes, I just discovered your blog after booking a Grandeur of the Seas cruise for January. Since I can only cruise once a year, I get really anxious when I know that I will be going on a cruise. And that led me to the great content on your blog. Thank you. I'm trying to catch up on the podcast. They are a perfect length for my daily commute, and now it's turning into my favorite parts of the day. I can't wait to drive now. My question is, have you ever tried another cruise line? And if so, did you make all the way to the end, or did you need to get medevac to a Royal Caribbean rehab? Just kidding. I just want to know what your experience were with other cruise lines. Thank you for the great content and dedication. Cheers from Brazil. Awesome. Well, thank you for the email there. And I forgot to say the person's name. Oh, Gabriel, right at the beginning. Duh. Uh, Gabriel from Brazil. Thank you, Gabriel. You know, I, I have to cruise other cruises. In fact, before I ever cruised on Royal Caribbean, I had cruised on Disney Cruise Line at least a couple, I want to say at least three times. I think I've cruised on Disney Cruise Line four times, I think, four or five. And I cruised on Norwegian once. And I I used to, when I started off on Disney, I liked Disney quite a bit. It was, it was a great cruise line. I started cruising on Disney with my family before I even had kids of my own. In fact, my kids have never been on Disney Cruise Line, believe it or not. But what ended up happening was I, Disney Cruise Line became more and more expensive to the point where while I enjoyed it, I just couldn't justify the prices. And what really turned, I think, my mind, I went on, on Oasis of the Seas. And Oasis was wonderful. This was uh, uh, a family cruise, but um, the the the, uh, the cruise really I think changed my mind was my honeymoon cruise, which was Mariner of the Seas. And we originally wanted to go do a Disney cruise for our honeymoon. My wife really, really wanted to do that. And we're talking with our travel agent, and big shout out to MEI Travel, who I used even way back then. They're a sponsor of the blog right now, so full disclosure. Uh, But you can find the link to them on RoyalCreamBlog.com. Anyway, we were going through them, and we were talking about, we want to do Disney Cruise Line, and our travel agent said, well, here's the price for the cruise. So you can do an inside cabin for this price, which is right at the top of our budget for our honeymoon. And then she said, or you could do a junior suite on Mariner of the Seas, and it's a wonderful ship out of port, same port. It was Port Canaveral at the time, and it would be a much better fit. You'd be able like, to have money left over. So I, you know, we, we my wife and I kind of said, okay, well, let's that's uh-huh. you know, let's think about it. And we thought about it some more. I said, okay, let's do it because it just makes more financial sense. And I got to tell you, I've never looked back from that point. And we did, we've, you know, since then we've only been cruising with Royal Caribbean. We did a Norwegian cruise once because my parents offered to pay for it, and I am not above a free cruise. And we were living in the area, and I was like, oh, why not? Let's give it a try. I didn't hate Norwegian. I just greatly preferred what Royal Caribbean offered. I certainly didn't have a bad time. It was just one of those things where I got off the ship. My wife and I said that was nice, but I think we really want to cruise with Royal Caribbean a lot. And what I love about Royal Caribbean is really that blend, uh, the balance, if you will, of what you pay versus what you get. Other cruise lines are cheaper. There's no question about it. Other cruise lines give you more. But I feel like Royal Caribbean does is gives you that right balance of it. It's not, you know, other cruise lines cost less, but they don't give you as much. And other cruise lines may give you more than Royal Caribbean does, but they just cost too much. And again, to that point, I just love what Royal Caribbean offers, the Royal Caribbean experience, so to speak. 
And so, yes, I have done other cruise lines. I did not need to be medevaced for it because I knew pretty soon I was like, okay, this is fine. I'm going to enjoy my time while I'm on here. But I am going to uh, continue cruising with Royal Caribbean, especially when I'm paying, when I'm footing the bill, I'm going back on there. James from Toronto is our next email. Says, any reason why Disney offers free soda and not Royal Caribbean? I'm reluctant to purchase a soda package for my three children, and I don't want them drinking soda all week. The drink package that includes juice is a little much. Any suggestions on what I can do here? Good question, James. So James aptly points out that on Disney Cruise Line, they include soda in the cost of your cruise fare. I would point out, James, that the average cruise fare for Disney Cruise Line is roughly two to three times what Royal Caribbean charges for their cruise fare. So the fact that Disney gives you free soda is a bit misleading because you're paying double to three times odds most times on average uh, for a Disney Cruise Line fare than you are for Royal Caribbean. So you're paying for it. You just didn't realize. In fact, anything that's including your cruise line, you're paying for it. And if if Disney and Royal Caribbean cruise fares were much more in parity in terms of pricing, yes, you can make an argument there. But Disney offers it, but they just include in their cruise fare. That's all it is. There's no, nothing's free is what I'm trying to get at. So, uh, in fact, I would also point out that the advantage of having Royal Caribbean's model is not everybody drinks soda. I don't drink soda all that much. In fact, I barely ever drink soda. So, what I like about it is that if I don't want it, I don't buy it. I'm not paying for experiences I'm not enjoying. So, uh, that's probably the fairest way I can put that out there without getting really heated up on that debate because I people always point that out. Why is this thing offered free? Well, it's not free. You're paying more for it. All right, anyway, too much. So, in back, let's now, James, let's talk about your situation there with your children. You don't want to pay for them because you don't want them drinking soda all week. So what are suggestions you can have? Well, there are some options. Obviously, you can always pay for sodas a la carte because with the soda package, soda card, however you want to call it, generally speaking, you'd have to drink somewhere in the ballpark of, I think, uh, three or four sodas a day to break even financially. Now, of course, you buy your kids a soda a day or maybe one soda at night for dinner or even two sodas if you're crazy. You're still coming out ahead of the drink package or the soda package. Number two. Don't forget, when you're visiting these ports, soda's a lot cheaper in port, right? You can find cans of soda for a lot less expensive. Maybe load up over there and bring it there. Number three, James, one more tip, is that even though it says on Royal Caribbean's rules you can't bring soft drinks or bottled water on board your Royal Caribbean ship, in practice, you can. I'm not advocating breaking the rules. I'm just telling you that, in general, this is what happens. Your experience may vary, but... Almost everybody has reported the same experience. If you bring a case of soda, you know, a six-pack or a box, however you want to do it, put it in your carry-on luggage, James, not the stuff you check with the porters. you got to carry it with you on board the ship. What generally will happen is there is going to be a don't-ask-don't-tell kind of policy engaged. Basically, the Royal Caribbean security is going to see you've got cans of something in there, but they're completely going to see, oh, it's cans of soda, and they're essentially just going to look the other way. So don't ask. They'll say, excuse me, I have these cans of soda here. I'd like to, is that okay? No, 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 don't do that. Just... Act like you own the place, like you totally or or ignorant, however you want to look at it, but don't say anything about it. They won't say anything to you, and you'll be fine. Theoretically, they could confiscate it, but in my experience, when you're bringing bottled water, you're bringing soft drinks on board, they don't care. They're more interested in people bringing alcohol. So if you really want to save money that way, James, that's another option for you to do. Uh, so it's best, of course, you have to lug the soda around, which may make my first, first and second tips a little more uh, convenient for you, certainly. So... There you go. Between those three tips, I think you'll be able to keep your kids nice and caffeinated and having a good time on board. And I appreciate the email there. And thank you to everybody for these wonderful emails here on this week's episode. I love, love, love talking Royal Caribbean with all of you. And of course, if you have a question or comment or thought, something on your mind about Royal Caribbean, whether it's about your cruise, something you read here, read on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, heard here on this podcast, that's what we're here for. Send me an email, Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, Matt, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.